I am so torn this time of year. Like, I'm a summer girl through and through. I love to be warm. I love to be just a little bit sunburnt all the time. But I also love Halloween, as you probably could have guessed. So, man, I'm sad to see it go, but I do love the fall, too. I love scary movies and dog cuddles. I don't like pumpkin-flavored stuff, but I do love the way black coffee just tastes and smells a little bit better in the cold weather, you know? I know I'm, like, waxing poetic here. Um, But it's just about giving season. And I'd like to go ahead and throw this out there. Um... I don't do the whole bonus episode thing for people who will pay extra. That's just not what I'm about. However, I do put in several hours on this podcast every week. And so I hope you all will consider becoming a supporter of the show. And it's very simple. You can just click on any episode. And at the bottom of the show notes, there is a link to support the show. It'll be like anchor.fm slash something. And it'll default to $4.99 a month. But guys, you can toggle that over to just $0.99 a month. So it's a dollar a month, but if a handful of supporters does that for me, it really adds up and just helps me justify putting in the time. And my listener numbers are way up, so I would just love to see that reflected in terms of support. Um, And that's all I'll say about that. I hate even asking for it. Um, Anyway. We were working through the Appalachian folk medicine for the past few weeks. I had a lot of fun with that, and you all seem to really respond well to it, too. Um, But this week, we are departing from that theme, and we're going to learn about a scientist. And uh, he is not originally from Kentucky, but he did spend a lot of time here and a lot of significant time. So that's what we will talk about today. Uh, This is the story of Constantine Samuel Raffinesque. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Here's the deal with this guy's name. His last name, I looked up how to pronounce it. It's either Raffinesque or Raffanesque. And I I don't want to say it wrong. I also think it's going to start to sound weird if I say it over and over. So I'm going to call him Constantine for the rest of the episode. So Constantine was born on October 22nd, 1783. He was born in Galata in what's now Turkey, formerly Constantinople. Um... And his father was French, his father Francois was French, his mother Madeline was Greek, and her parents were German, so kind of an interesting background. He moved with his parents to France in 1784, Um, and as you all probably know, the late 1780s, not a great time to be in France. So Francois went to the United States for work, um, leaving the rest of the family in Europe, and during the French Revolution. And to make matters worse for everyone, Francois died of pneumonia in the U.S. around 1793 uh, during a really bad yellow fever outbreak. So young Constantinople spent most of his time as a child in Marseille. 
He didn't go to school there, or at least not to college, but he did spend all of his free time learning on his own. Uh, when he was just 12 years old, he started an herbarium. He was very into plants from an early age. Also, by 14, he taught himself Latin and Greek, and that was so that he could understand all the footnotes in the books he was reading. At 19, he decided it was time to go to the United States, so he took his younger brother, Antoine. They arrived in 1802, and they kind of stayed up north, and that's when he really started to first network with people who shared his interest. So he met some other natural scientists. He met some botanists. He was kind of making friends. He was collecting a bunch of specimens. Everything was good. Um, so overall, a pretty good experience in the United States. And then in 1805, he goes back, and this time he settles in Sicily. Um, and of course, he has to learn yet another language now, so he learns Italian. Something interesting happened in between, though. While he was still in the States, back in 1804, he asked President Jefferson if he could accompany Lewis and Clark as the official naturalist on their expedition. And Jefferson was like, well, I don't know about that, but you could go on the Hunter Dunbar expedition. And so this was kind of a similar deal, but smaller. Um, and they were going to explore southern Arkansas and northern Louisiana, which I think he would have really enjoyed. Unfortunately, by the time he heard that he was accepted for this position, he was already back in Sicily. So he did miss that opportunity. But it sounds like things were good while he was in Sicily. Um, he did travel a bunch, but he, that was his home base from 1805 to 1815. And in that time, he served as secretary to the U.S. Consul and was making a lot of money in the plant business. And then in his spare time, he was identifying and classifying Sicilian fish. Now, he wrote this treatise in 1815, and it's really unfortunate because his picture was on the treatise. Now, of course, it was a drawing. It was not a photograph. Um, but I have to imagine it was close to what he looked like in real life. And he's been compared to Napoleon, which I get. I would have to agree with that. Uh, but worse. Um, I, I just have to be honest. He, he's a rough-looking guy. Um, so that certainly wasn't helping his, his case. And we'll talk more about these complications, these issues that he had um, in a little bit. But just keep that in mind. He, he was not a good-looking guy. But he's, he's doing all right. He's classifying fish. He's working with the U.S. a little bit. He's selling these fancy plants. And then he has a wife, a common-law wife, but a wife. Um, and they have a child together. Unfortunately, that child dies. And so later in 1815, he needs a fresh start. And again, he thinks of the United States. And so back across the sea he goes on the Union of Malta. Unfortunately, the Union of Malta lands really hard at Long Island Sound. Um, the ship wrecks. And this results in 20 years worth of specimen collection and research destroyed. Maps, drawing, plants, unpublished manuscripts, all lost. 
And it's believed that this shipwreck was so traumatic for him that that's why he ended up staying in the U.S. for the rest of his life and never crossing the ocean again. So what a setback, you know? You're trying to start this new life. You're in a new country. You don't speak the language very well. You have all these plans and you have the basis for all of these plans with you and it's all gone. At this point, Constantine didn't have a whole lot of options, so he becomes a private tutor in New York for three years, and when he makes enough money, he decides to go on an expedition down the Ohio River, and he ends up in Henderson, Kentucky. And if you aren't quite familiar, Henderson is down south along the Ohio. It's pretty far past Louisville. It's past Owensboro, and it's home to the John James Audubon State Park. Um, and it, that just so happens to be who saw Constantine get off the boat there. At some point, Audubon will have his own episode. He's a big episode. There's a lot to cover there. Um, but anyway, Constantine gets to Henderson and, um, Audubon sees him and immediately he notices, you know, that's funny. This guy doesn't have any stuff. He's got nothing with him. Uh, He's not holding any luggage. All he's got is, quote, a large bundle of dried clover in one hand. (laughs) And so apparently Audubon saw this and was like, hey, you know what? He looks like my kind of guy. I'm going to invite him to stay with me. And so that's what happened. And the cool thing about that is this experience gives us a little insight into what Constantine was really like. So here it is. Um, He didn't like to bathe. He wasn't really interested in hygiene. Even when they first got home, right as Constantine had gotten off the boat, Audubon politely nudged him like, hey, don't you want to go get cleaned up? And Constantine was like, no, I'm good. Um, Audubon also said he would hear strange noises coming from Constantine's room in the middle of the night. And then (laughs) here is an actual quote from Audubon about Constantine Rafinesque. Quote, To my astonishment, I saw my guest running around the room naked, holding the handle of my favorite violin, the body of which he had battered to pieces against the wall in attempting to kill bats, which had entered the open window, probably attracted by the insects flying around his candle. I stood amazed, but he continued running round and round until he was fairly exhausted, when he begged me to procure one of the animals for him, as he felt convinced they belonged to a new species. Although I was convinced to the contrary, I took up the bow of my demolished Cremona and, administering a smart tap to each of the bats as it came up, soon got specimens enough. <laughs> it has a certain fear and loathing undertone to it, does it not? Uh, what kind of plants were these men ingesting? Uh, but it is a funny mental picture, isn't it? These two nerdy guys, one's naked, running around with a smashed violin in the middle of the night, and he's certain he's just discovered a new species, but he was terrified to capture one. It's just, it's kind of chaos. It's good. Now, some people, some hosts, might ask their house guests to leave after that and find a different place to stay 
But no, they stayed together. He stayed at Audubon's house for eight days. And after Henderson, Constantine traveled to Lexington. And I don't think he was planning to stay in Lexington. I think he was just passing through to visit someone on his way back up north. Um, So the first time he had lived in the United States, he worked for a merchant company, uh, the Clifford Brothers. And so he was stopping in Lexington to see one of his former employers, John Clifford. John Clifford happened to be on the board of trustees at Transylvania University. And Clifford thought, you know, Constantine, you'd make a great teacher. Uh, So he was elected into a professorship in the summer of 1819. And just to flex even harder, he also, he, he was going to teach, you know, like natural sciences, botany. He also taught French and Italian and later became the school librarian. So he was very involved. Now, you know what people do to guys like Constantine? It's a tale as old as time. They bully them. And that's kind of what happened. He didn't get along with his colleagues. Um, He was apparently a little abrasive, a little condescending, and very eccentric. Also, he was said to have been really paranoid that other scientists were always trying to steal his work. So... Another professor from Transylvania actually gave an interview to a Louisville commercial reporter in 1885, Um, so it was much later, but he did know him. And here's what he said about him. Quote, I used to know him in the darkest night as he came along the walks of campus by the rattling of a bunch of peculiar seashells he wore on his watch guard. He talked English brokenly. When America was contributing to the aid of the Greeks in their revolution against the Turk, we at Transylvania sent our offering, too. I remember with what pleasure I gave the little I could. At a meeting, the old professor attempted to thank us in behalf of his countrymen, and his peculiar manner and broken English in the midst of his outburst of feeling drove us from the sublime to the ridiculous, and there was much laughter, only half suppressed. Now that's just mean, if you ask me. I mean, gosh, he was trying to be nice and thank them for something, and they laughed at him. So, yeah, Constantine didn't have great relationships with his peers, but that just gave him more time to work and study, and that's what he did. Um, now this is amazing, and he it reminds me of the Sarah Price episode, He wrote almost a thousand scientific papers in his life, 950, and that's minus whatever got lost in that shipwreck. I am going to get to the stranger things about this guy's life here in a minute, but I don't want to gloss over his scientific accomplishments because that's what's happened to him. And the whole point of this and what other writers have tried to do as well is like acknowledge what he actually did because he really did do some great stuff. It just got overlooked because he was not a charismatic person and he didn't know how to talk to people. Um, So he was one of the very first scientists to thoroughly study the flora and fauna of the Ohio Valley. He's the reason that specimens like plants and animals were brought into classrooms at Transylvania to be studied. That was something, 
I mean, it seems common and normal to us now, but it, it was not something they had thought to do before. So overall, he named 6,700 plants and animals in the U.S. and abroad, and he'd collected over 40,000 botanical specimens before he died. A man named Charles Bow, I think it's Bow or maybe Bowie, um, set out to write a book about Constantine, sort of trying to weed out what was true and what wasn't true about him, and in a way trying to defend his character because, um, like I said, he just was not a well-liked man. So among his accomplishments, Bow or Bowie said that Constantine also, quote, became interested in prehistoric Indian sites, identifying 148 of them in Kentucky alone and in Indian languages, leading to the preservation of the Wallam Olam, the epic of the migration of the Delaware Indians. And in 1832, he was really onto something, because even before Darwin had published The Origin of Species, here's what Constantine was thinking about. He said, quote, there is a tendency to deviations and mutations through plants and animals by gradual steps at remote, irregular periods. This is a part of the great universal law of perpetual mutability in everything. Sounds a heck of a lot like evolution, doesn't it? But he didn't have anybody to listen to him, so people were just like, yeah, okay, Raffinesque. So, you know, aside from that, generally speaking, Botany was not a highly regarded study at the time. It just wasn't considered all that important. So he even tried to um, get Transylvania University to build a botanical garden, and they wouldn't do it. And if you think about it, he's working as a professor. He's probably not making a ton of money. He's not getting paid for all this extra research and specimen collecting and paper writing, so he doesn't have any money to spare to fund expeditions. He apparently skipped his own classes all the time. It said he he was in his own classroom even less than the students were. Um, And the people in charge at Transylvania, they were noticing this, and they were not happy about it, and that, that will come up in a minute. Um... There's something else, too. He got in his own way. In more ways than just the eccentricities and all that, he was really excited about his work, and so sometimes he would publish things too quickly with mistakes or with, quote, sloppy research. He wanted so badly to be the first person to discover things. He wanted to beat everybody else. He didn't want people taking credit for his work, and so that often led to his stuff not coming out the way that it should, right? Now, there is, like, a a comedic side to this. Um, Because of how rushed and serious and eager he was to get this stuff out there and claim it as his own, there was a window of opportunity here for his old buddy Audubon to play jokes on him. And so here's what he would do. Audubon would describe in good detail, some species of fish. It would be a very specific fish that did not really exist. But wanting so badly to be the person who claimed their discovery, Constantine would take his word for it, and he would give these imaginary fish Latin names, and he would write about them as if they were real, and he'd found them. 
Of course, in the long run, this probably just made things harder for poor Constantine, but you have to admit that's pretty funny. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So things take a turn in the 1820s. 1826, Horace Holly is the president of Transylvania. And Horace Holly had had just about enough of Constantine Ruffinesque. Initially, Holly had specifically looked for people like Constantine. He, he was looking for intellectuals, scientists. He was trying to propel Transylvania from a, quote, backwoods academy into a true university. But Constantine just turned out to be a pretty unreliable professor and he just didn't end up being as valuable as they had hoped. And not to mention, there were rumors that Constantine was either trying to have an affair with Mrs. Holly or was successfully having an affair with Mrs. Holly. And so Mr. Holly, the president, strategically took away one of the rooms that Constantine was using for his research and stuff. And that infuriated him, just like Mr. Holly knew that it would. So Constantine huffed and puffed and he stormed out and ended up quitting. But before he left, he put a curse on the school. According to tradition, he said to Holly, quote, damn thee and thy school as I place curses upon you. So here's a quote from his autobiography. Quote, I took lodgings in town and carried there all my effects, thus leaving the college with curses on it and Holly, who were both reached by them soon after, since he died next year at sea of the yellow fever caught at New Orleans, having been driven from Lexington by public opinion. And the college has been burnt in 1828 with all its contents. So, this curse may just be the real deal. We'll talk more about that in a second. But yeah, after that, he had had just about enough of Kentucky. So, he went back to Philly, and he stayed there. And he taught at Franklin Institute, and he published more papers that didn't really get any attention. He did give some lectures, which kind of surprised me. He didn't strike me as a man who would be a great orator. Uh, he organized a bank for laborers. He became a naturalized citizen in 1832. And then he became a patent salesman, a patent medicine salesman. He peddled a, quote, cure for tuberculosis, which, man, that drops you way down in my book. Makes me so mad. But I guess you got to fund all that research somehow. Constantine Ruffinesque died of stomach and liver cancer on September 18th, 1840. And this is where the story gets really good. He was buried, maybe, 
Probably. Yeah, he was. He was buried in Ronaldson Cemetery. But you can visit the symbolic Rafinesque's tomb at Transylvania University. It's uh, it's an above-ground building with no windows. You can look it up. There are pictures of two girls spending the night there in uh, 1976. It's a great picture. Um, it was a Halloween tradition. I don't know if people still do it. I would. Um, if anyone has gone to Transylvania recently or is currently enrolled there, would you write in and let me know if that's still a thing? I really hope it is. So here's a quote about this, about the tomb on the campus. Quote, While a visitor begins to take in the above-ground tomb, which is completely covered by what appears to be a stone slab, the guide recounts that Ruffinesque was a great, unappreciated scientist, but he neglected his classes to botanize in the woods, that he, quote, discovered the theory of evolution before Darwin, that he had a torrid love affair with Mary Holly, the president's wife, and of course that he died in a garret and was buried in Potter's Field, convictions which have evolved over the years, mostly in the imaginations of the guides. The guide may tell you that Rafinesque Day, occurring about Halloween time, has become a tradition at Transylvania, and that on that night, four lucky students, two boys and two girls, are selected to pass the night together in the crypt, quote, right here on these graves. At this point, the visitor's attention will be called to a second tomb, to the right of Rafinesque's, the stone identifying it as that of Professor S.F. Bonfils, a native of France who, in consequence of political convulsions, emigrated to the United States. He devoted the last 30 years of his life to the education of the youth of his adopted country. Now, that's fun. That, that's all well and good. But the curse, right? The curse. There are some strange things that might lead one to believe there's something to it. Besides the yellow fever and besides the fire. In 1961, a woman was found strangled to death in her car, which was parked directly outside the tomb. This is a cold case. It's never been solved, and you all have probably heard of her. It was Betty Gale Brown, and we'll talk about her. I think she's going to have an episode in October. Um, So this is a nice little introduction slash cliffhanger for that. Um, But then in 1969, the old Morrison building burned, which I guess is like right by the tomb, but the tomb went unscathed. And then more recently, someone was working on the roof of the gym and fell to their death. And that was, of course, attributed to the curse as well. So that's that about the curse. But there is one more thing to mention here. It's so interesting. And it's what happened after he died. And it's reminiscent of the episode titled, Where the Heck is Daniel Boone Buried? If you all remember that one. We don't seem to know exactly where Constantine Raffinesque is. Remember I said he was buried in Ronaldson's cemetery, right? But you can visit his tomb at Transylvania. So here's the deal. There were so many rumors about this guy's death. At first, everyone was saying he died in severe poverty. Um, There was a rumor they had to haul his body out of his apartment window so the landlord wouldn't steal it and sell it to a medical college. 
Or some said maybe that's exactly what happened and his remains are long gone. Or maybe he had a pauper's burial. Or there was a rumor that some Transylvania students actually dug up his body and took the remains back to the tomb themselves. Here's closer to the truth. Um, He wasn't poor. Um, In his final days when he was really sick, he had two in-house doctors that were visiting him regularly. There was also a, quote, woman of the house, although I don't think he was married, but I I guess he was seeing someone. Um, After he died, uh, there was an autopsy performed in his home the very next day, uh, and he was, in fact, buried at Ronaldson's to the tune of $16, which is about $500 today. Now, that's all well and good, but there's more. See, in Ronaldson Cemetery, they were running out of room. And so they would bury the first bodies deep down in the ground. And then on that same plot, they would bury another body and then another body above those first ones. Keep that in your back pocket. And fast forward to 1919. Some guys got together and they located Rafinesque's gravesite and they put a marker on it. And the Transylvania librarian at the time heard about it and she wrote to the people who did that to thank them. And then she learned that the cemetery was not in good shape. It wasn't being taken care of. And so the librarian, Elizabeth Norton, wrote back to these people in Philadelphia and was like, hey, why don't we come and get Constantine's remains so that they're not lost and someone doesn't plop a grocery store on top of them or something. And so a few years later, in February of 1924, the dean of the university uh, traveled to Philadelphia personally to pick up some of the remains, which is kind of wild to me. And so he brought back some of those remains and they were in fact laid to rest in the tomb on campus. The problem is, The people who went to retrieve his remains didn't know that at least three other bodies and possibly up to eight had been buried on top of him in that plot. And so the remains they brought back to Transylvania are believed to be those of one Miss Mary Passamore, who died of consumption in 1847. So these remains were picked up and they were sent to Kentucky the day after they were dug up via train in a box labeled Raffinesque, which was spelled incorrectly, and they had the wrong bones in them. (laughs) It's just, it's kind of wild. They were right about one thing though, the Ronaldson Cemetery is not a cemetery anymore. Uh, There's a playground on top of it now, which is pretty morbid if you ask me. Um, Some of the bodies were moved to Forest Hills Cemetery, but we don't know for sure if Raffinesques were. Now back in Transylvania, or at Transylvania University, an anthropologist did offer to dig up the remains that they buried in the tomb to verify whether or not they were Constantine's, but apparently the university was like, yeah, thanks, but no thanks, which If I was ahead of the university, I'm not sure I would want to go there either. Um, There's an entire 20-page paper 
written by Charles Bowie for the Filson Club, I believe. Um, and I'll put a link to that article on the website, kyhistoryhaunts.com. It's really fascinating if you have the time. There's this whole other thing with the skull and the autopsy that I didn't even get into because this is becoming a long episode, but it's very complicated. And the truth is, who knows what happened to this poor guy when he died? Your guess is as good as mine. What we do know is that he was not great with people and people were not very nice to him. And that led him to be what I would consider underappreciated in his field. So that's, that's the story of Constantine Rafinesque. As always, thank you so much for listening. You can head to the social media pages to see pictures of those co-eds spending the night in the tomb. Uh, tell your friends about the show. And once again, if you can spare a dollar a month, please consider going to the show notes, following that anchor link, and supporting the show. And uh, be nice to people who are maybe a little bookish or awkward and don't have great social skills. Go easy on them. Uh, That's all I've got, guys. See you next time.